Last week, Jarrett preached on Moses. We heard the story of God revealing God's self to Moses in a burning bush. After processing this life-changing experience and working through some self-doubt, Moses takes off his shoes and claims his identity as one capable of both recognizing God's voice and responding to it with faithful action. Replacing sandals on his feet, Moses then returns to Egypt to lead and ultimately liberate the people of God. And this week, we're going to meet Moses again, but long before the burning bush, long before the Red Sea parts and the Israelites trek to the promised land, long before the people of God know who God is and that God can be trusted to intervene into their lives in creative, dramatic ways, and that God often does this through ordinary individuals. This week, we're going to meet Moses when he was a baby, approximately 80 years before the burning bush. And actually, I think Deborah is 10 months old. Scriptures and research tell us Moses was about seven months old. We're going to meet Moses just as he is found left in a papyrus basket in the reeds along the River Nile. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from the book of Exodus in the second chapter. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and she plastered it with tar and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. The baby's sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she looked into the basket, she saw the baby. He was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then the baby sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to the child's mother, take this child and nurse it for me and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
You can almost hear the rushing currents of a river, feel the heat of a blazing sun overhead, smell the scent of a perfumed golden princess, daughter of the Pharaoh bathing on their riverbank, and then surprise. If you squint, you can almost spot a precious baby tucked into a basket left by his mother and hidden in the shade of the reeds. All of this taking place in a land torn between an ancient promise of divine liberation and a current ruler focused on successful domination. Before we get too invested in this dramatic story, it's important to point out its cultural and political context. The Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. Jacob and his sons, the sons of Israel, have grown from a single family to a multitude of generations. They are living in Egypt and Pharaoh is threatened by their numbers and their identity as people of God. Pharaoh fears that the Israelites are divinely favored people and might overthrow his rule. His fears become organized into oppressive systems. And in an attempt to maintain control, Pharaoh orders that all male children born to Israelites be killed. He is hoping to snuff them out before they even have a chance to shine. And this, this is why a baby, baby Moses, is tucked inside a basket made of simple reeds and hidden in shadows. His mother is a daughter of Israel. She hopes that her son might be spared, saved somehow, given a chance to shine. She knows her plan might fail, but says a hopeful goodbye to her son anyway because there are no other options after all. This is quite a story. Mrs. Eileen Graham was my fourth grade teacher at Covington Street Elementary School. She read a poem to us after lunch every day. She taught us how to write in cursive. She taught us how to cover our heads under desks during tornado drills. And she took us on our very first out of county field trip. We went to the Mint Museum in Charlotte, North Carolina. We rode a charter bus and brought bag lunches and made the journey to see a special exhibit entitled, and if you were in a fourth grade class in North Carolina around 1988, you likely did the same thing. You went to see an exhibit entitled Ramesses the Great, the Pharaoh and his time. The exhibition contained over 70 artifacts from the collection of the Cairo Museum in Egypt. It reflected the craftsmanship of Egyptian jewelry and had pendants and vessels and necklaces. It had combs and mirrors of the princesses. It had levels and plumb lines used by Ramesses' chief architect and builder and samples of the clay blocks used to build royal palaces. Everything in the museum that day had something to do with Ramesses the Egyptian ruler who reigned longer than any other pharaoh in ancient history. 
I came home from the exhibition with a pamphlet, complete with gold stickers beside each part of the museum where we had visited, <clears throat> and a new obsession with everything Egyptian. Hieroglyphics, sphinx, scarabs, tombs, mummies, princesses who lived in pyramids, papyrus. It wasn't until a few Sundays later that I learned from Miss Graham, who in a small town taught fourth grade and also our Sunday school class, scholars believed Ramses to be the Pharaoh during the time of Moses' exodus from Egypt. And this connection between the museum and the Old Testament story confused me. It intrigued me. It was the first time I realized that things in the Bible really happened, like with real people, in real places, during real time. Events that took place in the Bible stories I came to recognize didn't just affect people who read the Bible, but they had a place in history, in the world. Where the Mint Museum exhibition focused on the epic lure of ancient Egypt and highlighting the gold treasures, the Bible study added context. It focused on an oppressed people and their land, how their lives were affected by the past and how they might be shaped for the future. The museum staff never mentioned Moses, and the text in Exodus never named Pharaoh as Ramses, but it was the same story, simply told from varying points of view. The main questions in the early chapters of Exodus are, who will the people of Israel serve? Will they serve God or will they serve Pharaoh? And also, who will protect them? Will God make a future for them, blessing them, or will Pharaoh lead them to greatness? These questions are not that ancient. We still today, the modern people of God, struggle to know who we can trust, to whom we shall be loyal. We struggle how to integrate our faith into our political views and our political views into our faith. We, too, are surrounded by forces of power and greed and arrogance and control. We, too, find it difficult to love those who look or sound or live different from us, those who are from other countries or heritages, those who seemingly pose a challenge to what we hold to be right or traditional or true. Again, I'm reminded of Ramses and Moses, of the ways their stories are told in different settings and how they can easily be misinterpreted or misrepresented depending on from which angle they're looked at. I'm reminded that the stories our faith are not all creative myths exaggerated for entertainment, nor are they ones created solely for religious preservation. The stories of our faith the ones written in scripture and the ones we live again and again are powerful, complicated, they're nuanced, they're alive, they're ever speaking then as now 
of themes like faithfulness in the midst of nationalism, compassion in the face of racism, liberation that comes after oppression. In the stories of our faith, ancient and modern, people encounter God in arid deserts, along riverbanks, at the tops of mountains, and in long stretches of barren wilderness. Barbara Brown Taylor, she's a favorite author of mine, maybe some of yours as well. She says, God shows up in whirlwinds, starry skies, burning bushes, and perfect strangers. When the people of God want to know more about God, we look to the Son of God who tells us to pay attention to the very things in front of us. Basic things like lilies of the field, sheep in the pasture, a baby in a basket. It's paying attention to these things hidden in plain sight that gives way to encounters and opportunities to participate in God's divine plan. God has been and is still and forever shall be inviting the children of God, the people of God, us, to trust in the name of faith and take risks in the name of liberation for all of creation. We are going to face challenge after challenge, generation after generation, century after century, and yet God, just as God said to Moses in the burning bush, God is God. God is who God is, and God will be who God will be. God is going to continue to work in unexpected ways through unexpected people like the Pharaoh's daughter, like you, like Deborah. We may not identify as any one specific character from today's scripture reading, but we can relate to the context in which they find themselves. People who are disenfranchised, homeless, outcast, vulnerable, they are all around us. They are not hidden in the reeds of a river, but instead in shelters and prisons and hospitals. The children of the modern-day oppressed do not float in murky waters placed in flimsy baskets made of papyrus and pitch. They float in the Mediterranean Sea, placed in boats made of things like plywood and duct tape. Those with an abundance of resources of any kind still feel conflicted about how best to love our neighbor. Turn the other way and pretend not to see injustice or dare to extend compassion at the risk of being seen as soft. During Pharaoh's time and ours, God is the God of the oppressed, and we, God's children, are to take our cues from God and God's action toward us. God calls on us to speak, to see, to save, to draw each other out of the water.
Moses was drawn out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter, one from within the very system that sought to oppress him. She looked upon him and she saw him as a baby, as her brother, and she acted with compassion. Because of that one seemingly small act, the people of Israel were drawn out of the water, the Red Sea, and walked toward liberation generations later. Even later still, God's voice calls out, you are my beloved, and greeted Jesus as he came up out of the water. And we are drawn out of the water every time we remember our baptisms. Just a few moments ago, we invited Babri Deborah into the grace of God and this family of faith. We anointed her with water and then we drew her away from the font, blessed her, and you sang to her with love. In the sacrament of baptism, we pledge that we will do this for her and each other because this is the holy work that we are called to be a part of in this life. And this is the holy work that God's people have been about since that day on the River Nile when a baby in a basket was drawn from the water. Amen.